Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to stand before you this morning. I salute you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to stand before you, to give you what God has given me, to share with you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, how God works in man so that we can get an understanding of the indwelling presence of God in man. And I want to continue uh, in that vein as God has led me. And I want to talk to you today focused really on the parts of man where the manifestation of God is. Understanding better where God works and how God fills us gives you uh, clarity and direction and understanding of how to use the presence of God to fulfill the purpose of God in your life and to magnify the glory of God through your life. But before I begin to minister to, to you today, um, you know, continuing kind of where I left off last week about how God pours himself into us, I want to take a moment to address an issue that is prevalent in the body of Christ. This is the mingling together of what, I guess for lack of a better phrase, you could say church and state. What I've seen truly is a disregard to being separate from the world and an adoption of worldly things being brought into the house of God through many gates. In my prayer and in my time before the Lord, I feel a troubling in my spirit and an urging of God to speak to you this morning in reference to something that we've just made acceptable. There has been a constant back and forth between ministerial leadership of the church, preaching against the members of the body, engaging in the worldly celebration of worldly music, while at the same time denying the power that this medium has to influence the mind, the heart, and the spirit of mankind, which includes the believer. What has occurred over time is the music industry has adopted a worldview with a satanic agenda. I'm not shocked at you know this trend at all, actually, but what troubles my spirit as I hear the voice of God directing me and how best to address this to the body of Christ is what troubles his spirit. And that is that many professed believers not only open themselves up to worldly influence through the listening to and the watching of these types of music, videos, and songs, but they go beyond that in the support and even the defense of the artists who are being used as agents of evil warping the minds of our youth and unfortunately even so-called adults. I'm going to say a name right now that's very common, that's very known, and I already know that once I say this, it's going to frustrate uh, many people. It's going to frustrate many people, and while I'm not so much concerned about the frustration that I may bring to people uh, in the world, because I, I really don't expect them 
to know any better at this point if they have not been introduced to Jesus or to the word of God. But what troubles my mind is the frustration it's going to bring to people in the body of Christ just by saying this name. The world refers to her in one manner that I will not because that is not who she is to me. Beyonce Knowles. Now the world calls her Queen B, but I could never refer to her as queen because she is not a queen in my life. But Beyonce Knowles has recently released her latest album or CD or whatever they call it these days, and it is the most satanic, vulgar, sexually deviant compilation of songs and imagery that I have ever seen and for much of it that I've looked at and and listened to in my study and how to address it I can't unsee or unhear as a matter of fact it is so evil that I could not watch the videos beyond a few seconds or listen to the songs because of the demonic overture that was in them even just reading the lyrics troubled me I do not have the time really to get into all of the demonic imagery that's associated with Beyonce over her last few albums or even the widely accepted belief that she has openly engaged herself to a demon. But the people of God whom I am responsible to lead must understand that we cannot support or entertain this worldly agenda or allow it to sow seeds in the hearts and minds and spirits of the people of God. Now I'm going to say something hard here that some of you may or may not agree with, but this is the truth. You cannot truthfully say that you are a believer of Jesus Christ in the sense that you have accepted his headship over your life and at the same time, have a strong desire to listen to or dance to or consume and celebrate the things of the world and the world system. Reading Beyonce's own words as uh, she attributes her album to a man that she calls her uncle but who is no familial blood to her and defiantly celebrates his immoral lifestyle while at the same time imparting the LBGTQ agenda in her music is an affront to all we as the children of God hold true. We cannot ever embrace the things of the world and call God our master or else we lie to ourselves and as you deny Christ in your living, he will deny you in your ending. I'm talking about eternity, not the satisfaction of your soul. So let me just say it plain and clear. And I don't care really if I offend you or if you want to call me names or accuse me of being holier than thou. No God-fearing man, woman, boy, or girl should be listening to Beyonce's music or even supporting it by sending your money to purchase it. If you like it, you need to examine yourself 
because your final resting place may not be where you think just because you say Jesus is your savior. You are putting your life and your eternity in grave jeopardy. This cohesion of church and state must stop and must be broken. The word tells us you cannot serve two masters. The one who uh, is offended by the things that I'm saying right now, God has released me to tell you your offense has identified who your true master is. I cannot stand by while urged of God to speak his truth to all who will listen. But understand that you hearing these words today have now made you accountable to them. And your rejection of them is a rejection of God. Enough said on that. Just pray about listening and supporting this kind of music and do as you feel you are led to do by God. You see, every true believer will acknowledge the Lord in everything and only do as he directs or orders their steps. But you have to begin to think to yourself, if I cannot enjoy life, if I cannot enjoy fellowship with family and friends, except I listen to worldly music, music that's an affront to God, music that supports everything that is anti-God, hence being a tool of the Antichrist. If I cannot come together with family and friends to support the fellowship that we have in our relationship without having to listen to that, or without having to get intoxicated or get high, something is wrong with me. If it takes drinking, cussing, being foul in our uh, gossip one to another, just to say we had a good time, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Let me get to the word of God. I will not stand before God though in the day of judgment and have to make an excuse as to why he impressed upon me to lead you in truth and I chose to remain silent. I will never remain silent when God urges me to speak even if what I'm going to declare before your ears could be offensive. You see, the world has caused you to believe that if something is offensive to your hearing, then it's not you that has the issue. It's the person that's speaking into or over your life. And this is a lie of the devil. But let's go to the word of God. The Bible declares even if our gospel is veiled, it, it, it's veiled in those who are perishing in whom the God of this age has blinded the thoughts of the unbelievers that the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. 
because the God who said out of darkness light shall shine is the one who shined in our hearts to illuminate the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not out of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 7. And this is where I will uh, continue my lesson in the series that we are working on how God pours himself out into us. Now, these verses that I just read to you tell us that Satan, who is the God of this age, blinds the minds of the unbelievers, lest the illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ should shine on them. Let me make this equally plain. The enemy is afraid of the shining of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. The gospel of the glory of Christ in verse 4 corresponds to the knowledge of the glory of God in verse 6. The treasure as declared in the word that is in our earthen vessel is the very God in Christ who has shined himself into us. I've pointed out over the last several weeks is that the main thing that God desires is that God pour himself into us. He works himself into our different parts through his different persons. So if we read the scriptures carefully, make a careful examination of what God declares in his truth, we will realize that this is the main thing he is after. And I have such a burden that I could say this to the people of God hundreds of times, even thousands of times in the whole universe. God's intention is nothing other than to work himself into man, the crown of his creation. Amen. But for what purpose does did God even create man in the first place? That purpose is only that man might become his container. I like to use the word container uh, over vessel because it's a little clearer than uh, just saying vessel in and of itself. It's, it's clearly seen in Romans, the ninth chapter, in the 21st and 23rd verses, and in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, that God created us to be his containers in order to contain himself. We are only empty containers, and God intends to be our only content. Let me give you an, an illustration. Bottles are necessary to contain beverages and light bulbs are necessary to contain electricity to produce light. If we look at the bottles made for beverages or the light bulbs that are made to contain electricity, we realize that these peculiar containers are quite specific articles. They're made for a particular use. Well, we people are also peculiar containers. Amen. And we too were made for a specific purpose. 
the bulbs when made must contain electricity otherwise the bulb is meaningless and good for nothing as a matter of fact when the bulb loses its energy it loses its ability to process the electricity that is contained in it what do we do with the bulb we throw them away because they are meaningless and purposeless without their ability to uh, produce what they've been uh, given as a content. Amen. If the bottles never contain a beverage, they also would become meaningless. Amen. Now man was made purposely to contain God. Many people are running around and wondering what your purpose is. Let me, let me just tell you right now, your first and foremost purpose is to contain God. And if we do not contain God and know God as our content, we are a senseless contradiction. Regardless of how much education we may obtain, what kind of position we may hold in the earth, or how much wealth we may possess or acquire, we are still meaningless since we were purposely made as a container to contain God as our sole content. So as a container, we must receive God into our very being. This is the purpose of the outpouring of God, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. And although this word may seem simple, it's the exact word that's needed to point out the main thought of the whole scripture that I read to you. The basic teaching of the whole scripture is just this simple. God is the very content and we are the containers made to receive him as our content now we must contain God and be filled with God to ever have real meaning and to ever forever fulfill true and lasting purpose Amen. let me talk to you real briefly about the father the son and the spirit in order that God may put himself into us as our content he must exist in three persons or three manifestations. Now, we can never adequately understand the mystery of God's three manifestations. Really, at their core, they're beyond our comprehension or our ability to fully uh, explain in detail. Now, we're told clearly in several places in Scripture that God is only one God. 1 Corinthians 8 and 4 and uh, 6, the 6th uh, verse as well. And 1 Timothy 2, the, the, I think it's the 5th uh, verse in, in 1 Timothy, the 2nd chapter. Uh, they declare that God is but one God. But in the first chapter of Genesis, the pronoun used for God is not in the singular, but it is in the plural. It's not identified in the singular as I, but the plural as us. Let me show you. Let's go to Genesis 1 and 26 and 27 where it declares, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created man in his 
own image. Now in verse 26, it says in our image, whereas in the following verse, it says in his own image. So please tell me, is God singular or is he plural? Who can explain this? God himself uses the plural pronoun for himself, let us make man in our image. But if you say God is more than one, you are in error because the Bible declares that God is only one God. In the whole universe, there is not more than one God. Why then, if God being only one is the plural pronoun then used? Well, everyone that is familiar with the Hebrew language can understand and declare to us that the word God in Genesis 1 is in the plural form. The Hebrew word for God in the first verse, in the beginning God created, that God is translated from the Hebrew word Elohim, which is the plural form of God. However, the word created in Hebrew is a predicate in the singular form. So this is very strange when you begin to look at this grammatically. The grammatical composition of this verse is a subject in the plural form, but a verb in the singular form. And no one can argue with this. It is proven by the Hebrew language itself. So then, are we compelled to ask, is God one or three? Well, let's look at Isaiah 9 and 6. The Bible declares that a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and his name will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father. You see, it does not say Mighty Man, but it says mighty God. A little child is called mighty God. Now all Christians agree with the uh, prophecy that is listed in this text. We understand it, we receive it. The child mentioned here refers to the child that would be born in a manger in a town called Bethlehem who is not only named mighty God but also eternal father. And as a child born to us, he is called mighty God and as a son given to us, he is called eternal father father or the father of eternity now this can be very strange when you take a cursory look at it when the child is called mighty God is he a child or is he God well. and when the son is called eternal father is he the son or is he the father if you try to figure it out you won't be able to do it you, you have to just take it on faith as truth unless of course you do not believe the scripture Amen. now if you believe the authority of the scripture you must accept the fact that since the child is called mighty God it means the child is the mighty God and since the son is called the father it means the son is the father so if the child is not the mighty God, how could the child be called mighty God? And if the son is not the father, how could the son be called eternal father? Well. 
Then again, how many gods do we have? Well, we have only one God because the child Jesus is the mighty God and the son is the eternal father. I know this seems like it's back and forth, but it's really beyond our comprehension. And at the same time, it's extremely simple when you look at it in faith. Second Corinthians 3 and 17 says, the Lord is the spirit. Now, according to our understanding, who is the Lord? Well, we all agree that the Lord is Jesus Christ. But it says that the Lord is the spirit. Well, then who is the spirit? Well, we have to admit then that the spirit has to be the Holy Spirit if the Lord is being referred to as the spirit. So the son is called the father and the son who is the very Lord is also the spirit. So this means then that the father, the son, and the spirit are one. Now, I emphasize this matter because it is by his different persons that God pours himself out into mankind. Amen. And without these different persons, the person of the father, the person of the son, and the person of the Holy Ghost, God could never bring the magnitude of himself into us. God is trying to pour the entirety of who he is into our vessel. Matthew 28 and 19 says, Go therefore and disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now notice that it does not say baptizing them into the name of any one divine person. Nor does it say into the names, but into the name singular of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The singular name is the representation of the three parts. So why do we need to be baptized into the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit? If we check the original Greek, we will discover that the preposition in, I-N, which is used in the King James Version of this verse, of this direction of God, is the preposition into or unto, ace, E-I-S. Then it actually reads baptized into the name, not in the name. So the same word is used in Romans 6 and 3, baptized into or into Christ Jesus, which is the proper translation. So what does all this mean then? Well, let me say it like this. My wife and I are, well, actually, really, I take credit for it, but it's really more my wife. We're in the gardening. I can say we're in the gardening because when I joined with her, we twain became one flesh. So what she doesn't realize is that means that she's a preacher, but we'll get into that another day. Amen. But let me say it like this to you. We're in the gardening and we took a stab at growing watermelon. Now, 
the whole purpose of, of us growing watermelon is so that we can eat and digest this watermelon. In other words, your intention is to work this melon into you. And how can you do this? Well, first you have to grow the whole watermelon. Second, you cut the watermelon into slices. Then thirdly, before this melon enters your stomach, you have to chew it until it becomes a juice. So the sequence then becomes melon, slices, and finally juice. Now, are these three different things or are they just one thing? I believe this is the best illustration of the triunity of the Godhead. Most melons are uh, larger than your stomach. So how can you swallow a large melon when your mouth is so small and your throat is so slender? So before a melon can become the proper size for you to eat, it has to be cut into or broken up into manageable slices. Then once it is eaten, it becomes more manageable as it transitions from a slice into a juice. Now, are the slices not the melon? And is the juice not also the melon? So if we say that uh, these parts are not the whole, we must be ignorant. Now, the father is illustrated by the whole melon, the son, then by the slices, and finally, the spirit by its juice. So here's the point. The father is not only the father, but he is also the son. And the son is not only the son, but he is also the spirit. In other words, this melon is also the slices to eat and the juice that gets digested within us. The melon disappears after it is eaten. Originally, the melon was on the table, but after being eaten, the melon is now in you in its entirety. Now, in the Gospel of John, the Father is in the first chapters. Now, the Son, as the expression of the Father, is in the succeeding chapters of the book of John. And then eventually, the Spirit as the breath of the sun in 20 and 22 is manifest. This one gospel reveals the triunity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you read all 21 chapters in the book of John, first it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word becomes flesh and tabernacles or dwells amongst us. Now this very Word, who is God himself, one day becomes man and dwells among us, not within us, but among us. Then he lived on the earth for 33 and a half years. He evidently, uh, it comes to the point in time when he has to transition from this life. He dies and then he's raised again. And this mysterious, miraculous, wonderful resurrection, something that we really truly can never fathom, the evening after his resurrection, he came to his disciples in his resurrected body. Well. 
Now notice the text. The scripture tells us that all the doors were shut, yet he enters in bodily and shows to the disciples his hands and his side. We cannot comprehend this. Flesh does not walk through material. But he came in in a very miraculous and mysterious way. And then finally, he breathed into the disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. That very breath was the Holy Spirit, like the juice of the melon. And if you remember, in the beginning, when God created man, the Bible tells us that God formed man from the dust of the earth. He, he formed man. He, he had a moment where he did not use his creative power to speak man into creation, but he took time with man. He took uh, a care with man, and he formed man from the dust of the earth. He put man together. But the Bible declares that after he finished forming man, man was lifeless. And he lay there until God breathed into the nostrils of man, causing man to become a living soul, causing man to then exemplify what man contained. He contained the breath of life so man became alive. And from that time, I would ask you, where was Jesus in the gospel of John? After he came to the disciples, this gospel never mentions the ascension of Jesus to the heavens. Then where was this wonderful one at the end of the gospel of John? Well, like the watermelon, which is in my belly, Jesus was within the disciples through the spirit as the breath of life itself. Now, God's desire is to work himself into us by means of his three manifestations. There is need of the three persons of the Godhead because without these three manifestations these three persons God can never be brought into us it is just like the illustration that I gave you about the watermelon without being cut into slices and received as juice the watermelon could never be brought or wrought into us God can be wrought into us only through the manifestation of his three parts. Now, when God comes into us, where is it that God goes? Well, let me talk to you today before I close shortly about the mind, the heart, and the image of God. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit and take a comprehensive look at the very container of God. Do not think that we are so simple. I believe doctors could tell us that the human body in its makeup is very uh, delicate and extremely complicated. A human being is not a simple container like a bottle containing a beverage uh, or a light bulb containing electricity. On the contrary, man has many different parts. 
And this is why we must know the different parts of man as well as the three manifestations of God if we are ever to understand what it is God is trying to accomplish in us. I like illustration. I like visual learning. So let me give you another illustrative clue. Many of the people that I know drive cars but it is impossible to drive a car unless we know some of the parts of the car you see you have to learn at least the essential parts if you're ever going to get the car to operate you need to identify and locate things such as the brake the gear shifter the ignition the gas pedal and so on now, if we do not know the parts of the car, we do not know how to operate or get the car to fulfill its purpose. Well, likewise, in, in order for us to realize how we can contain God, we must know the different parts of our being so we can fulfill God's purpose. Consider how many parts are found in a short passage in the second book of Corinthians in the fourth chapter. Well, in verse 4, there are thoughts, and in verse 6, there is the heart. At least two parts here, the mind and the heart, are found in this passage. So perhaps you have been a Christian for uh, many years. And up to this very point in your life, in your Christian journey, you do not know the difference between the mind and the heart. Now, we read that the mind could be blinded by the enemy and the heart could be enlightened by the light of God. This is what the word tells us. Now, the God of this age, this world, the devil, blinds the minds of the unbelievers, but God shines his light into the heart of the believer. So perhaps that uh, you thought that you understood this part of the word, but never really considered that here are two parts of the human being being identified and God does not identify things for nothing. So before defining the mind and the heart from the scripture, uh, let me give you another illustration to kind of get you to begin to think along this line. A camera is made for the purpose of taking something into itself. To take a picture actually means to take something into the camera. When my wife and I visited Hawaii, I used my camera uh, to take pictures in Hawaii or in essence to take Hawaii into the camera. My intention was that an image that was outside the camera should be brought inside the camera. What was necessary for me to take pictures into the camera were three main components. The lens, the film, and light. Now, with these three things, an object can be taken into the camera. Several years ago, I made a rookie blunder while I was at work when I was trying to take some pictures with a Polaroid camera that we were given to use at the time. Now, obviously, this was quite some time ago. But I took some pictures with this Polaroid camera 
after the film was processed, the pictures were blank. You see, what, what happened? I'm trying to figure out why the pictures did not reveal what I thought I was shooting. Well, I realized that I was in such a hurry to take the pictures that I forgot to take the cover off the lens. So the lens blinded by the covering or the ability to capture what was outside of it. Now, many times when an unbeliever comes to hear a good message of the gospel, you know, like one I'm preaching today, we think tonight, today, this afternoon, this person who has heard this word is surely going to give their life to Christ. Not surely, but surely. But eventually, they're still blank. You see, the enemy of God has blinded their minds. Now, the mind is the understanding organ in the body. And Satan has blinded the understanding of the hearer of the word of God. And regardless of how good the message is, I'm preaching. Yes, you are. And how much that people have heard, their understanding has been blinded or covered. Their mind is still blank. Nothing has been taken in. Many times we need to pray that God would bind the God of this age and bind his binding, blinding work. This is what we should be asking before we even declare the word of God to the world. You see, this simply means to take the cover off the lens so that the hearer can take the message in. You see, after the cover is taken off, we still need some more things. We need the right kind of film. Without the proper film, even though the lens is right, it still will not work right. We cannot receive a proper picture if we are using the wrong film. So then what does the film illustrate? Well, the film is an illustration of our heart. Our mind is like the lens and our heart is like the film. Our heart must be tuned and adjusted properly. We need the lens, but we also need the film. We need the understanding mind, and we also need a receiving heart. You see, the, the heart has to be pure. It has to be clean. It has to be right. It needs to be adjusted. David cried, create in me a clean heart. Yet even if we have the lens in the film, we still need light. We need the light to shine through the lens and onto the film. The divine light of God's glory shines in us to give the image and picture of Christ to us. And this very image of Christ is the treasure that is held, contained in us, the earthen vessel. 
You see, it's through this that we can realize just how to deal with our mind and our heart. It is just like the, the camera. We, we have to know how to adjust the lens and how to use the film. And if we do not know how to handle the lens and the film, we will never receive a proper picture. You may get some portions of picture. You may get some sense of light, but you can never enjoy the fullness of it when things are not in alignment you see spiritual experiences are just like taking pictures we ourselves are the camera and we must learn how to use our camera in order to receive God in Christ as the picture and it is regrettable that so many believers simply do not know how to handle their mind or handle their heart in reference to God in fact Many do not even know that they themselves are containers made to capture content that is not them. You see, Christianity is not, strictly speaking, a religion teaching people to do this or to do that. It is simply Christ himself, the living one, being brought into us. He is the very object, the very figure, and we are simply the camera made to capture. As the object, he must be brought into us by the shining of the divine light through the lens onto the film. Day by day and moment by moment, we need the divine light to shine more of the image of Christ through the understanding of the mind so that we may receive him into our heart. It's because of this that we have to learn how to adjust the mind and the heart even as I open today it's going to take an adjusting of the mind and the heart to receive the truth of God concerning our engagement with worldly things we have become so uh, fixated on the world that we get mad when the world can't be part of the church well what are the spiritual experiences they are simply the pictures of Jesus taken into us the camera and impressed upon our spiritual film. You see, with some believers, some Christians, the lens is nearly always covered, and the film is unusually improperly adjusted. If you look at their film, there is no picture. Every photo of the film is blank because there are no experiences of Christ. But if the apostle Paul came and we were to open his camera and take out his film, we would find that every photo is a picture not full of Paul, but a picture full of Christ. Everything depends on how much we adjust the lens and take care of the film. That is how much we deal with our mind and properly tune our heart. If we do not do this, we will suffer. But if we do this well, whenever the divine light shines upon us, the image of Christ will be shined into us. We will have a beautiful picture of Jesus on the inside. You see, this is the importance of learning our different parts. We were made to contain God in every part. We must go on to know them all in their, in, 
very finite and very intricate part. And more than you know, uh, anything else, the mind and the heart are tremendously important. Now next week, I will show you in detail all the parts and maybe later in this series, I'll get into how they actually function and how you can adjust them. But for today, let me just rest on this. You must have a right mind and a right heart if you are going to ever enjoy the fullness of the manifestation of God in your life. But as long as you allow the world to blind your thinking, to blind your ability to capture God, as long as you are going to allow the world to pour its systems and its agenda into your life, as long as you deny the power of God working in your life you will not enjoy what God is trying to do and you will remain an empty vessel a bottle of coke is only good when coke is in it a bottle of uh, 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 sprite is only as good when sprite is in it I have, I like cream soda when my wife allows me to drink it. You see, she only lets me drink water. Y'all pray for me. I know she's doing good, but my taste buds like the cream soda. So when we go to a restaurant, we sometimes we go to Olive Garden, and in Olive Garden, they have the ability, they don't have cream soda, but I discovered they had the ability for me to make cream soda. And I make cream soda by taking something or two things that they have. They have Sprite and they have vanilla extract. And I found one day that if I poured the vanilla extract into the Sprite, the Sprite took on the smell, the appearance, and the taste of cream soda. So now when I go there, I ask the waiter or the waitress, can I have a cup of your vanilla extract and a cup of your Sprite? And then I mix the two. The Sprite becomes the container of the vanilla extract, which changes the Sprite from what it was into something so much better. You as the vessel of God, with God poured into you, become something so much better. But God cannot be poured into a vessel that is full of junk. I was washing a um, cup the other day that we had poured milk in. And I don't know if you've ever really paid attention. But if you have the residue of milk, which is really a, a more liquid form of cream, when you have this residue in the cup and you put water in it, you can stick the cup under the faucet 
turn the faucet on, and as the water comes in, you'll notice that the water is cloudy. Why is the water cloudy? It's cloudy because it's mixed with the residue of the milk that was in the cup. But I noticed something the other day as I was just, I was doing some other things as I was trying to rinse the cup out and I let the uh, cup sit under the faucet and I went and did some other things for uh, just a few seconds, 10, 15 seconds as the water is running. And I came back to the cup and I noticed that the water was still cloudy. And it, it caught my attention. So I stood there and I watched. And it was minutes before the water turned clear. And God showed me in that moment that this is the issue that many have in the body of Christ. We keep wanting God to pour himself into cups that are filled with residue. And because there is residue on the inside of you, it is clouding your ability to enjoy the freshness and the newness of God. You can't see him for who and what he is because you are filled with residue. God desires to fill an empty cup, not a cup that is filled with stuff. This is again why David declared, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. None of this life is about us. It is only about God. All we are, all we have, all we will ever be is totally about God. Everything else is loss. Know that I'm praying for you. That the God of this age, who has blinded the minds of so many, would lose his ability to affect your ability to capture the fullness of God. Because when you capture the fullness of God, you'll be able to fulfill your true purpose. But as long as your container is filled with residue, you can never enjoy the fullness of God. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Enjoy fellowship with family and friends. And separate yourself from the world.